Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Well, today is Good Friday, and it's the day, of course, where we focus on the cross and we reflect on the meaning about why Jesus died. So the question, why? Well, why did uh, Jesus die? And, of course, there are social, political reasons. Uh, Jesus was a threat to the Jewish religious leaders and also a potential threat to, to the, uh, the Roman imperial rule. And because of this threat, they had to have Jesus killed. You see, Jesus challenged the status quo. He challenged injustice and evil. And as a result, evil killed him. But it's within the social political reason that we discover a deeper theological reason that Jesus died for the sins of the world. And it's within this theological reason that we find an even deeper and a more personal the, the, the personal reason Jesus died for my sins so I could be forgiven. You see, in Mark, in the Bible, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, it says that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for me, and he came to give his life as a ransom for you. And the word ransom comes from the slave market. You see, a, a kind person might buy a slave and then set them free. But first, the, the ransom price has to be paid. On the cross, Jesus paid the ransom price by dying for us. So we could be set free. Freedom from guilt and blame and sin and death so that we could experience forgiveness, so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. But why can't God just simply forgive us? Why does Jesus have to die in order for God to forgive us? Why can't God just forgive us? Well, one of the the best answers I've, I've come across to this question is found in the book, Exclusion and Embrace, by Miroslav Volf. Wolf is now, he now teaches at Yale Divinity School, but many years ago he was confronted with this question. How could he, as a Croatian Baptist, love his Serbian Orthodox neighbor after all the terrible things the Serbs had done to his country? How could he forgive them? And I dipped into this book a number of years ago when I was studying part of my studies when I was at Bible college, and his basic argument is this. Before you can have embrace, you have to have exclusion. Before you can embrace, before you can have forgiveness and reconciliation, there needs to be exclusion. Evil needs to be named and confronted. It doesn't matter if you are talking about international relationships or one-to-one relationships, or our relationship with God, evil needs to be named and confronted before there can be embrace, before there can be reconciliation. You can't just pretend it doesn't matter. You can't just pretend that nothing happened. You can't just say, oh, don't worry about it. It's nothing. It's no big deal. If you do that, you will never be able to truly embrace, to experience true forgiveness and reconciliation. Only when evil 
and the evildoer have been identified and named, can you move to embrace? Only then can the one who has been truly hurt and wounded be able to forgive and embrace the one who has wounded and hurt them. Exclusion, then embrace. And this principle, this dynamic of exclusion and embrace is is quite profoundly seen in the, the Commission for Truth and Reconciliation that was led by the Bishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa. After apartheid in South Africa ended, so after white dominance over a majority black population ended, and when racial tension was at fever pitch, the Bishop Desmond Tutu led the Commission for Truth and Reconciliation. This is probably the most extraordinary sign of the power of the Christian gospel that the world has ever witnessed. In the same room, you had white security forces and black guerrilla fighters, terrorists, freedom fighters, sitting in the same room, confessing publicly to all the violent and horrific crimes they had committed. Truth. And with those confessions, the families of the tortured and the murdered, were able for the first time to truly begin the process of grieving and to start contemplating the possibility of being able to forgive and to move on with their life rather than being overwhelmed with anger and hatred. Truth and reconciliation. Rather than criminal trials, truth was told Forgiveness was offered, reconciliation achieved. If you want true reconciliation, if you want a true embrace, you first need exclusion. You first need truth. The cross is God's exclusion. On the cross, evil is named and confronted. You see, God doesn't say, oh, oh, it doesn't matter. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about the way you've hurt people. Don't worry about it. It's okay the way you've messed up the planet. Don't worry about it. It doesn't really matter. He doesn't say that. He says, this is serious. There is a cost to what you've done. The debt needs to be paid. If we try to pretend it was no big deal, nothing really happened, there's no real problem, we'll never be able to experience true reconciliation and true forgiveness. Our sin needs to be dealt with. Our debt needs to be paid. And on the cross, Jesus deals with our sin. Jesus pays the debt that we owe God by dying for us on the cross. You see, on the cross, something happened. Something mysterious, but something profound. Something of cosmological significance. For on the cross, all the consequences of the world's sin... All sin from the time of the very first person, from the time of Adam to all sin in the future, to the time of the very last person to ever live, all sin came upon Jesus. All guilt came upon Jesus. All blame came upon Jesus. And evil and death came upon Jesus. On the cross, Jesus is effectively saying, I'll take the blame. Lay all the blame on me. Lay all the guilt on me. I will pay the price to restore this relationship. And on the cross... All sin, all evil, all guilt, all blame, and death came upon Jesus. 
But they couldn't hold Jesus. Even death couldn't hold Jesus. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave and defeated sin, evil, and death. So we can be forgiven. We can experience forgiveness, freedom from guilt. So we can be reconciled into a right relationship with God. The cross is God's exclusion and God's embrace. Why did Jesus die? He died for me. He died for you. He died for you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. In Romans chapter 5 and verses 7 to 8, it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. There's a story of a new recruit who was training to become a Marine. And he was one of these kids that was always kind of out of step with the norm. And so he he easily became the subject of ridicule. Uh, You know, just as people always pick on the offbeat kid. You know how people like to give an offbeat kid a hard time. And at the particular barracks he was assigned to, there was a, a very high level of bullying. And everyone went out of their way to make him the, the butt of every joke and to humiliate him. One day, they all got together, all the Marines in his barrack got together, and they came up with this great idea on how they could, could really humiliate him and, and, and have a great laugh. They thought if they took a grenade... A disarmed grenade. They could throw it onto the floor and, and, and pretend it was about to explode. And then they could have a great laugh and see how he would react. They thought this would be a really funny thing to do. And so they took this grenade. They threw it onto the floor and they yelled the warning. It's a live grenade. It's a live grenade. They all kind of expected this young Marine to get all hysterical and, and possibly jump out of the window. But instead, he fell on the grenade. He hugged it to his stomach. And he shouted, Run for your lives! Run for your lives! And all the Marines froze in stillness and shame as they realized that the one they had ridiculed and mocked was the one who was willing and prepared to lay down his life for them. And so it is with Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he was ridiculed and mocked by the mob. And then he was executed on a cross, even though he was innocent. And he did that, and he endured that for the very people who were ridiculing him and mocking him. And he did it for us. There's still people today who will ridicule and mock Jesus by the things they say or by the way they act. Yet Jesus dies for us. He died for us because he loves us. And he wants a relationship with us. How are you going to respond to this message of the cross this Easter? When those other Marines saw how this new recruit was willing to die for them. When they, when they were confronted with that love, it demanded a response from them. And they stood there 
frozen in stillness and shame. When we are confronted by this amazing love of God, it demands a response from us. How are you going to respond? I remember when I was first confronted with this amazing love of God, that He loved me so much that He was prepared to die for me, that there was nothing I needed to do nor could do to earn this love. It demanded a response from me. And I decided there and then to surrender my life to Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to love Jesus with all my heart, soul, and strength. How are you going to respond to the message of the cross this Easter? For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.